Kim, and we like to talk about spooky shit. Like, <laughs> you know, ghost stories, true crime, true crime that leads to ghost stories, legends, lore. Bigfoot. Bigfoot! He's usually just like, you know, someone who hangs out with us and listens to what we talk He's about. He's cool. Yeah. Bigfoot's legit. All those trees, Pacific Northwest, he's got to be somewhere out there, right? <laughs> so... We're really excited about this uh, episode. I'm super stoked because Kim is spearheading this episode and I have no idea what she's going to be doing because she wouldn't (laughs) tell me. Um, It's better this way. I kind of am pumped. I'm really excited to hear about it. So, Kim, do you want to say what your topic is first or should we do the ghost story? Let's do our ghost story first. Okay, so we have a ghost story. And this story comes actually from one of our listeners, and she submitted this to us about an experience that she had in Dogtown, which is located in Massachusetts, so East Coast. And it's an interesting story. So Dogtown nestled between Gloucester, Gloucester, I'm the worst, I can't pronounce, and Rockport on Cape Ann, Massachusetts, is a magical nook just outside of a bustling highway. It was first known as the Common Settlement in 1693 when colonized by English millers and farmers. Close enough to the water to thrive, but far enough to be safe from pirates, are. <laughs> the community flourished for a century. 80 to 100 families made this rocky and wooded area their home until just after the American Revolution. When Gloucester revived its fishing industry after the revolution, families moved closer to the water and even the meeting house location was reestablished. The small wooden homes were abandoned. Over time, the dogs who lived with the widows of men lost at sea in the war, all stinks, were left behind, became feral, and overcame the land. Legends say that this is when and why the name was changed to Dogtown. Uh, I want to live with a bunch of dogs. Hmm. Um, On this summer day, as I walked up Dogtown Road, I saw a sign for Trail G. And as my married name starts with a G, I figured this was a great place to begin meandering. As I wandered down the trail, I found much of the path covered in water. I was wearing my vegan Doc Martens, so I kept going and going and going. Seemingly abruptly, but really after a half hour, I looked up and realized the path I was on had ended. It seemed I'd somehow come off the path and was, in fact, following a stream that lets out into the Babson Reservoir. Confused, I looked around and realized I was quite lost. There was no path in view. I'd become soaked from hopping through and over the burbling stream. As I walked, I realized how quiet everything was. There were no birds, no squirrels. I had wandered far enough from the reservoir that I couldn't hear the streams any longer. Not one to become easily frightened, I kept going. As I pushed through the brush and the fallen leaves, I noticed boulders all around. Some were giant and blocking my path, so I had to backtrack to find a way around them. Bittersweet stuck to my clothes, my hat, my face, and my hair every 10 steps or so, causing me to backtrack in hopes of finding ways around it. My legs had cuts all over them from the thorny vines. I'd backtracked too much. I swear I was walking toward the road, even with the backtracking, but I was even further from my destination than I was when I was at the reservoir. I couldn't help but wonder if the bittersweet was holding me there in the forest, reminding me of the lure of nature, the way fresh air can be so healing. It took me almost an hour to find my way back to the road. It felt like a time warp in which I was moving but not actually making progress. It was frighteningly wonderful. You can imagine my relief when I found Dogtown Road again. 
Before starting my trek again, I Googled Dogtown Maps, and the first search noted that one would be foolhardy to wander Dogtown without a map. Rolling my eyes, I found my way back to the parking area, took a photo of the map, and began walking up Dogtown Road, skipping the trail G this time. After a few minutes of walking, I paused again to adjust my scarf and to take in the nature around me. I looked forward to the path. As I did, I began thinking about the English settlers and colonizers who came to the area. How many were lost in the woods as I just was? How frightened were they when the sun set and nocturnal animals unfamiliar to them began roaming? I laughed at myself thinking how grateful I was for them that bittersweet isn't native to Massachusetts and that the human-made Babson Reservoir wasn't in existence yet. Abruptly, I had a feeling I wasn't alone. I forced myself to look up and I saw it. A human-sized figure, completely white or light gray, moving from the right side of the path to the left side in front of me. I froze. Was it a bird? Maybe, but I didn't hear any birds. Also, what kind of giant white bird makes no noise as it travels across a path full of leaves and surrounded by trees? It most definitely wasn't a person. The crunch of fallen New England leaves are a sure sound this time of year when wandering in the woods. What was it? When I got home, I shared on Instagram that I had gone to Dogtown. In response, I received several messages from people who had gone and who had become so lost they will never return. One person messaged me to mention she saw I was headed to Dogtown and inspired her to want to learn more about Tammy Younger, the queen of the witches. It seems Tammy lived in Dogtown in the late 1700s. She collected tariffs from anyone passing her home on Fox Hill, harassing oxen drivers until they complied. It was rumored that if you didn't pay up, her spirit would spill wood from your cart. Tammy had two long teeth interfering with her ability to eat, causing her to become even more of an outcast. When she died, a family built her coffin but refused to keep the coffin in their shop because they felt her spirit was in the coffin well before her body was. Some believe she never actually died. This morning, as I, was, as I began writing the post, I pulled up several maps of the area to try to sort out where I was lost and how I could avoid doing that next time I visit. Curious, I looked for Tammy's home. Tammy's home is near the reservoir, the reservoir where I ended up when I felt the woods luring me off track. Cool. Yeah. Interesting story. It looks like she came across a ghost or a witch (laughs) or both. Who knows? But thank you so much for the story, Roby. Much appreciated. And having said that, I'm going to pass it on over to uh, Ms. Kim. All right. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the Greenbrier ghost. Oh, <laughs> that I think I know Gabby. the story. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay, go ahead. There is a mile marker on the state highway in West Virginia that reads, interred in a nearby cemetery is Zona Hester Shoe. Her death in 1897 was presumed natural until her spirit appeared to her mother to describe how she was killed by her husband, Edward. Autopsy on the exhumed body verified the apparition's account. Edward, found guilty of murder, was sentenced to state prison. So if you look at local accounts, this is a story proudly shared. A young woman found dead soon after her mother's visited by her ghost told that her death was not an accident, but murder. Her mother took the stand, and from her mother's testimony via, well, the the ghost's testimony via her mother, the man responsible, her husband, was tried and convicted, which is 
remarkable, right? Wasn't that like the only time in history that... It is touted as being the only time in history a ghost was responsible or testified at a trial and was responsible for a conviction. So cool. Very cool. However... Evidence. As we often find, local legend and fact do not always match up. So what I'm going to be sharing with you today is the story of what really happened. Ooh. And as always, when we are dealing with a historical case like this, uh, there is a lot of conflicting data. And I do my very best when I research to sort through it, present it as factually as I can determine and piece together. But I do like to put that disclaimer out there. So this is our story of Elva Zona Hester. Everyone called her Zona. There were reports that listed her birth date as 1873. Her gravestone said 1876. And I think this confusion stems from a census that was taken in 1880 that listed her age as seven. Uh, But I'm going to go by the grave site because census, those are often a little bit off with some of their, their years. She was born in Greenbrier County, West Virginia. Her father was a farmer, and the family owned a boarding house. She was described as being beautiful and spirited and liked by those around her. Zona met a man named Erasmus Stribling Trout Shoe. Wow, Trout Shoe. Trout Shoe. And Erasmus, like that's a name. Was that a hashtag Kim's name? Yeah, this might be, this might currently be the greatest name in ghoulish tendencies history i'm just i'm putting that out there all right all right uh most accounts he went by trout which is equally as delightful a little fishy a little fishy oh that should have been a sign <clears throat> so stupid i can't <laughs> now erasmus was uh what would commonly be referred to as a drifter he was born in Mossy Creek, Virginia, sometime around 1861. So he was a good deal older than, than Zona. He'd moved to Greenbrier County in the summer of 1896, hoping for a fresh start. In fact, he introduced himself commonly as Edward, not Erasmus. I mean, if that's the name, you know, sometimes you got to adjust to fit in. I know. I, I, that, that's one where I'm like, that's legit. Erasmus is a, that's a name. I feel that like is, that's a name that like people could really make fun of. You're like, hey, Asmus. There's, there's so many ways to make fun of that name. Um, so I, I can kind of get the introducing yourself as Edward. Uh, he began working for the blacksmith, James Crookshanks. His Crookshanks. father. Hmm? James who? Crookshanks. That's another good one. It isn't good. It's the, the name of the cat in Harry Potter. Really? Fun fact. Yeah. yeah. Uh, his father, uh, Erasmus's. <laughs> See, that's a mouthful to say, Erasmus's. Erasmus's. Erasmus's father was a renowned blacksmith, uh, so he was already familiar with the trade. Now, Zona and Erasmus, every time I say Erasmus, we should take a shot. <laughs> they met. We would die. We would die before Dead. the end of this podcast. They met shortly after he arrived, and they married on October 20th of 1896. Uh, had a pretty fast 
courtship. Her parents, not super stoked about him. Her mom especially, she didn't like him, but she struggled with articulating why hmm. she did not like him. She maybe just it was his name. Had, maybe, I mean, come on. Would you trust a guy named Erasmus? I mean, really depends on your perspective, but probably not. <laughs> That's true. Uh, he, he wasn't described either as being a particularly kind man. Um, he was reported as being good looking and described as tall and muscular and could oh. be very charming. In fact, oh, one wow. writer, one writer described him as a man's man. Oh, and it's interesting to note because there is debate as to whether or not pictures survive. We have pictures of Zona and we'll be posting some of those pictures to our social media. So you can see Zona for yourself. There is a picture uh, that is often reported as being Zona and Erasmus together, but it has not been verified. So if, if that is true, that is the only known surviving picture of Erasmus. Now, uh, a few short months after they got married, January 22nd or 23rd, a little conflicting reports as to the exact date of 1897 at around 10 a.m., Erasmus sent a neighbor boy, uh, Anderson Jones, to his home to pick up eggs and to check in with his wife to see if she needed anything. He was very specific about that, about Anderson going into his home or knocking on the door to talk to Zona. Anderson knocked on the door at about 11 a.m. No one responded. So because he had been instructed to, he went inside. And what he would find was Zona's body lying at the bottom of the stairs. Uh-oh. According to an account in the Monroe Watchman, the body was lying stretched out, perfectly straight, with feet together, one hand lying by the side, and the other lying across the body. The head was slightly inclined to one side. The physician, a man named Dr. George Knapp, that's with a K, not an N. He didn't like to take naps. He didn't like to take naps. He was a doctor. Uh, he was... <laughs> We're like dad joking hard. I know. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, Dr. George Knapp was called. He did not arrive until sometime between 12 and 1. He had actually been treating Zona for a few weeks for what was described as female trouble. Oh, rude. Well, but see, that could be a lot of things. And I could not find references to what exactly that meant. Uh, he tried to examine the body, but he was halted by shoe by Erasmus, who was refusing to allow a thorough examination and had dressed her in a high, stiff-necked dress and then put a pillow under her head because it was reportedly flopping around. Oh my God, what did he do to her? Well, and there was other reports that Zona had a bruise on her cheek. That's shady so, shit. That's some shady shit, but but Dr. Knapp initially proclaimed the death as being uh, she died of an everlasting faint. What the fuck does that mean? That is what they used to call heart attacks, everlasting faints. Oh, really? That's a fun yeah. fact. Fun fact. Uh, I think everlasting faint actually sounds way cooler than heart attack. It sounds way more dramatic. 
It like, does. Oh my goodness, I'm going to faint everlasting. That's like because Tuck Everlasting. We can have it, a movie called Faint Everlasting of people just dying of heart attack. <laughs> Which makes sense, though, because if you have an everlasting faint, you're fainting forever. You will never ar- arise from your everlasting faint. <laughs> or it could just be like a really infinite song that the faint did. <laughs> just on loop. <laughs> It also just sounds like the name of some 90s song, right? Like some 90s emo song. I mean, The Faint is right up that alley, so, That's true. So that's on brand. Yep, it's on brand. Now, on January 30th, the cause of death was changed to childbirth. Wait, she had a baby? No. So, this is what I wonder. Uh... Because that's a fairly vague thing. And they'd only been married a few months, which I suppose doesn't mean they couldn't have been further along in a pregnancy, but they hadn't known, they'd known each other really since the summer. So could the female troubles have been like early signs of pregnancy? Perhaps. Possibly. And uh, maybe she had her faint and, and... Her everlasting faint? Her everlasting faint, and I don't know, it caused her to miscarry and bleed profusely, but there wasn't really a lot of reports of blood. So uh, that one confused me, and I saw speculation, but nothing that really went further into why Hmm. that's what her cause of death was changed to. And that's still shady. Like, it's very nonspecific. Well, and she was found again at the bottom of the stairs. So So, And, like, her neck was flopping around like that. That's like the first like red flag, guys. What well, it actually it, it, it made me think back to um, Elma, Elma Sands, mm-hmm. our Manhattan Murderwell story, because it was something very similar. When they pulled her out, her neck was obviously broken. It's really apparent when someone's neck is broken. Yeah, they're a little floppy. They're floppy, and and the fact that that shoe took such great pains to pun intended well but i mean to to hide that fact the high neck dress the stiff collared high neck dress putting something under her neck there was even reports of of being veiled so her body's taken to her childhood home that was the custom at the time it was about 14 miles away on little sewell mountain and it was buried there three days later and shu made this big display of his grief he was wailing and flinging himself in the body which would f- was further ensuring that nobody could get too close to it. Because he was like one of those... <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to go down a rabbit hole. He was like okay. one of those like blow-up things that you put in front of a car dealership that flops. <laughs> like it fills with air and then it flops. This is audio. <laughs> uh, you, can't see. you can't see... I'm flopping. You can't see... <laughs> the really spectacular, although I wonder if I can get a picture of this. Keep flopping, keep flopping, 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 flopping. It's so flattering. The flattering flop. It's like <laughs> the flattering flop. <laughs> it's almost like the everlasting faint. The flat, flattering flop. It's, it's good alliteration. Flattering flop. Flattering, flattering flop. flop. It's also a tongue twister. Say that 10 times fast. Maybe later. So, <laughs> um, no, but what's interesting is his, his theatrics didn't really last beyond the burial. Okay. He got over it. <laughs> he so, got over it pretty quick. 
He's like, oh no, my wife. Oh, she's buried now? Cool. I'm going to go get a beer. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, Tell me about it. (laughs) (laughs) If I had a nickel for every guy that wasn't sad at my funeral. (sighs) Wait. Tim is dead. (laughs) It didn't melt. I thought we made that apparent. We talked oh. about people marrying ghosts. I do a podcast with one. <laughs> bad jokes, bad jokes. Uh, all right. So Zona's been dead about a month. And suddenly her mother, Mary Jane, starts telling her neighbors that Zona had appeared to her four nights in a row to say that her death was not natural. Dun, dun, dun. According to Mary Jane, Zona said she was murdered by her husband. So they, it's not like they have, you know, Facebook or phones or anything. This is prime gossip. And the gossips just go nuts with this information. And as a result, some new details start to come to light on Erasmus. What they find is he had been married twice before. His first wife was a woman named Ali Esteline Cutlip. What? I know. names, I can't. I I want to like marry all of these names because they're that amazing. Uh, Erasmus and Ali were married in 1885 and they actually had a little girl together named Goethe Lucretia in 1887. Wow. As a side note, uh, Gerda would go on to get married, have seven children, and die in 1962 in Oregon. What were her children's names? Do you know? Did she go wild and ham on those names too? They were mostly normal, I think, but I'll have to look. I I looked her up on Ancestry.com because I was really curious what happened to Gerda for some reason. Uh, Because you're Kim. Because Kim Kim goes down rabbit holes and we love it. We love you. And starts looking up the descendants of a guy who killed his wife on Ancestry.com. Now, um, Erasmus beat Ali horribly. In fact, there was the story, I know, there was a story I couldn't verify, but according to one account, he beat her so badly at one point, a group of neighbors, like a group of the, the neighborhood men got together and threw him in the ice in the Greenbrier River. Oh, good. As a like, yo, dude, Cut that shit out. Did Not he? Cool. Did he cut it out or was he still a dick? Well, he stole a horse. <laughs> okay. And so he went to jail and he was in jail for a couple of years. And when he was in jail, she divorced him. Oh, good. Good yeah. on her. So Allie, Allie got out okay. So he gets out of jail. He marries again in 1894 to a woman named Lucy Ann Tritt. Lucy died eight months after their marriage. That's suspicious. The local paper described her death as sudden. Uh-oh. Gave no further details. That's it? Seriously? Sudden, yeah. And trust me, I tried to find more details. There were four different accounts, and, uh, there, and, and most of it appears to have been like passed on by word of mouth. So it's a giant game of telephone at that point whether or not these things actually, which one's true, what was closest to it, whether or not he was responsible, which became the common thought because 1894 is when he married her. She died eight months later and he meets Zona wanting to start a new life, moving to town in 1896. So it's pretty quick. 
that's pretty quick. And also what he was trying to get, get a new start from is the fact that his wife died, I think, and that there was rumors even then. Huh. So people start looking at Lucy's death because of this. Uh, and this is, this is something that became kind of part of the lore. I don't know that this is actually true, but I read an account that he was recorded as saying supposedly he wanted to have seven wives. Is he Mormon? <laughs> well, no. So one of my personal favorite nicknames that was given to him by one of the papers was Hillbilly Bluebeard. <laughs> Which I was like, that's, I mean, that's awful, but also that's awesome. a little priceless. That's also a little awesome. Wait, Hillbilly Bluebeard? Hillbilly Bluebeard. Yes, yeah. I love that. Okay, keep going. So Mary Jane... She goes to the prosecutor, a man named John Alfred Preston. And initially he's like, okay, so a ghost came to you? Sure. That's a regular reaction. That's a regular reaction, but she was really persistent. And the thing is, is she had been talking so much. People are talking about it now. And people are talking about his previous wives. But the thing that got him and what really got him was what she said about the doctor and the doctor's inability to really examine Zona. So Preston, he goes to Dr. Knapp and said, hey, man, what happened? You you saw her body. You, You said that the cause of death was childbirth. What's up? Where's the baby, by the way? Like, if there's childbirth issues, like... Well, childbirth could mean... I mean, that doesn't mean there's a baby. That's... that's She miscarriages. Oh, and, I see. Okay. Hemorrhages blood. I mean, childbirth could... Is a stand-in to mean... Yes, could she have, have... Could there have been some complications from something that in his mind contributed? Or possibly, if she had a bad heart, could oh. something with a pregnancy have affected that? But there's there's not enough details as to why he put childbirth down. Like, I find that really, really odd, unless he knew she was pregnant. Right. And thought that, that contributed to it. So that, but again, that isn't, that's, that's me filling in blanks. That's not me seeing any evidence that said the doctor verified she was pregnant and miscarried from the fall, and that led to her hemorrhaging or something. Right. So... Preston talks to Dr. Knapp and Dr. Knapp said because she was so protective of the body, he only gave it a quick examination and she dressed her in that high neck gown, put the scarf around her neck. So he didn't even see her neck. Exactly. So Mm -hmm. this, this is what made the prosecutor say, okay, that's weird. Shady shit. Shady shit. Not Mary Jane saying the ghost of my daughter is visiting me and telling me I was murdered. The shady shit involving the body. And the doctor's lack of like attention to the body, right? Well, the doctor's not being given the opportunity to attend to the body. Got it, got it. So the prosecutor agreed to exhume the body and continue an investigation. They would perform an autopsy on the exhumed body on February 22nd of 1897. So about a month after she's died. And what they would discover is that the death 
was not a natural one. Dun, dun, dun. I had to, sorry. <laughs> I know. According to the Pocahontas Times, the discovery was made that the neck was broken and the windpipe was mashed. Oh, shoot. On the throat, there were marks of fingers indicating that she had been choking. Choking? Yeah, it's not a typo. That's how they said it. <laughs> Interesting. The neck was dislocated between the first and second vertebrae. The ligaments were torn and ruptured. The windpipe had been crushed at a point in front of the neck. So she was strangled. She was strangled. And I, the only female trouble that is, is the trouble that women get into from men. <laughs> like, yeah, that's it. From having the a end. voice. Her voice yeah, is from, crushed. So shoe was brought in to witness the autopsy of his wife. And there was an account that said the doctor performing the autopsy turned to him and said, well, Trout, we have found your wife's neck to be broken. He was charged with his wife's murder. Uh, he said, I'm innocent. But he kind of struggled with mounting a defense. In fact, the Pocahontas Times reported on May 20th of 1897, he had actually threatened to kill himself. So he did finally, yeah, he got defense attorneys. And this is another one where there was kind of conflicting. I saw his name listed as William Reekler and another that was listed as William Ruckler. And most of that's because James Gardner is the name they usually go to. And Gardner's notable because he was the first African-American to practice in the circuit court of West Virginia. Cool. So a lot of articles really highlighted that fact, which again, Kim likes her weird little side trivia. Now the trial began on June 23rd of 1897. The prosecution presented primarily circumstantial evidence. Uh, He was the only person known to have been with his wife that morning. His unwillingness to let anyone near the body or examine the body. Sending a neighbor to his home with instructions to, oh hey kid, go inside the house. That he wasn't sad about his wife's death. And I, I will say on this one, this is a little unfair. If he was running around being like, ding dong, the witch is dead, sure. (laughs) Like, okay, yeah, that's legit. That's a little suspicious. But, like, you can't tell somebody how to grieve. No, but when someone's being, like, wildly (laughs) airmanned with arms, you know, before they bury a body, and then all of a sudden he's, like, fine after they bury it. But I I am saying everybody processes death and tragedy differently, using that as a piece of evidence as to why somebody's guilty, it is not. Correct. That makes sense. It's like Gone Girl. We see this in Gone Girl. Totally. You can take a moment and twist it to your narrative. That being said, I still totally think he did it. So, <laughs> Having said that, I do Having have Having said thoughts. that. <laughs> uh, he was witness to saying to people that, well, you know what? No one's going to be able to prove anything, so I'm not that worried. Fair. And that was essentially the defense's strategy. Deny it. Uh, there was at one point a reference to them trying to imply Zona had killed herself, and the wow. autopsy definitely disproved that. Yeah. Now, if we go by local legend, what cinched the prosecutor's case was the testimony of Zona's ghost. Uh, But was that testimony even admitted to evidence? Was it? Yes and no. 
her mother, her mother was called to the stand. But the defense was mostly like they wanted to discredit her and make her seem unreliable. But what's really interesting to me, so the trial transcript was lost, which is a bummer. Quote, I love lost or like someone. No, no, no. It. Like actually lost. I Got mean, it. it was, you know, this trial was 120 something years ago. <laughs> but numerous articles at the time recorded the section of Zona's mother's testifying because it was kind of bonkers. <laughs> So this lone part, we have the testimony for. Hmm. So under, under oath, she's questioned about what she saw. And what she said was, it was no dream. She came back and told me that he was mad that she didn't have no meat cooked for supper. But she said she had plenty. And she said that she had butter and apple butter, apples, and named over two or three kinds of jellies, pears and cherries and raspberry jelly. Which, I'm sorry, the ghost is getting real specific about what they were eating. I mean, at least she's specific. Then she's more credible, right? That's, I guess so. So, <laughs> so she says, you know, she came, well, that's actually me misquoting. The exact quote is, she came's four times. Whoa, that's what she night. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I know. She came four times and four nights, but the second night she told me that her neck was squeezed off at the first joint and it was just as she told me. And she'd go on to say, I told them the very dress that she was killed in and when she went to leave me, she turned her head completely around like the exorcist. That's what I was thinking. Okay, I'm glad that wasn't just me. She turned her head completely around and looked at me like she wanted me to know all about it. And the very next time she came back to me, she told me all about it. The first time she came, she seemed that she did not want to tell me as much about it as she did afterwards. The last night she was there, she told me that she did everything she could do, and I am satisfied that she did do all that too. That is such a vague thing to say, like the way that she said it. She says it very oddly. And my favorite part was the attorney asked her like, okay, I get it. Could it be a dream though? And she said, it was not a dream. I don't dream when I'm wide awake to be sure. Uh, duh. So it's, this is only a fraction of the testimony. One paper though called it a very remarkable testimony. And it is again, the only piece of the trial that we have preserved. That's actually pretty cool though. Yeah, one and and so Mary Jane did take the stand to testify that her daughter, daughter's Mary Jane did take the stand to testify her daughter's ghost had come to her. However, it it didn't play into the prosecution's case at all. Huh. It was never mentioned in their arguments. It was never mentioned as evidence cuz it's not. So maybe it's a little bit misleading to say that this is the only trial that was prosecuted with a ghost testimony. It's 100% misleading. That was not true. Got it. Mary Jane took the stand. Mary Jane testified, but her daughter's ghost testimony was not what uh, made this trial. It's not what uh, brought in the verdict. Got it. And again, so that's just it was misleading. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, again, it's an interesting story. It's legend. It's lore. It's fun. Right. But it's not fact. 
Well, it's just like a small detail. Like that part was still included in the trial, but that wasn't what was referenced to dictate the outcome. Even going back to why they opened up the case, they did not open up the case because Mary Jane talked to her daughter's ghost. They opened up the case because she got enough people talking and they realized that there was something shady with the autopsy or the lack thereof. So technically speaking, had she not brought all this up, it wouldn't have stirred up the dialogue and the conversation though, right? She helped. I mean, her pushing it definitely helped. But the, I I guess what I'm coming down to is Mary Jane is a good reason why, not the testimony of a ghost. Just her persistence in checking her out. Her persistence. As, as she's the three billboards mother. She's, she's a woman who was, was adamant that her daughter did not die of natural causes. And, and we're going to get into some theories uh, shortly about why. But it is misleading to say the testimony of a ghost is what convicted this man. That is, that is 100% not true. Interesting. So Shu actually took the stand in his own defense, and this did not help him. Oh, he sure. gave a long rambling testimony where he called upon God to witness him, and this really turned off the jury. Jury was not a fan of his. They deliberated for one hour and ten minutes, and they found him guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced him to life in prison. Would you say it was a shoe in? Oh, God. Uh- <laughs> Dad jokes are strong. <laughs> strong with this one. Uh huh. After his sentencing, a mob tried to lynch him. Uh, he was sent away to West Virginia State Penitentiary in Moundsville. Oh, that's a famous one. It is. And he stayed there until he died uh, a couple years later, March of 1900, of an unknown illness. He was buried in an unmarked grave. Mary Jane died in 1916 and stood by her story for all those years. But what made her claim? that her daughter's ghost had visited her. Did she actually believe this? She was very vocal in saying she had never believed in ghosts. Uh, There is a theory that she wanted to kind of play on people's superstitions. Another is that she knew saying her dead daughter was visiting her would bring a lot of attention. Now, Katie Lyle wrote a book called The Man Who Wanted Seven Wives. And, and, she did extensive research into this case. She's probably done the most research into this case of anyone. She received some information that led to a whole new theory. While she was working on her book, she received a phone call from a man named Fred Long, who was the editor of the Hinton News Leader. He let her in on a previously unknown detail. So, Zona's death was publicized in the Greenbrier Independent, the local paper, on page three on January 28th of 1897. Normal little obituary. On the front page of the paper that day, though, was an article titled, A Ghost Story. Oh. And here's a quote from that article. One of the most famous cases in Australia was discovered by the ghost of the murdered man sitting on the rail of a dam into which his body had been thrown. Numberless people saw it, and the crime was duly brought home. So this might sound a little familiar. People spot a ghost sitting on a rail, and when they investigate that area, they find the man's body beneath where he was. Hmm. And the article went on 
to say years after a dying man made his confession that he had invented the ghost. What? He witnessed the crime, but was threatened with death if he divulged it as he wished to. And the only way he saw out of the impasses was to, was to affect to see the ghost where the body would be found. As soon as he started the story, such as the power of nervousness, that numerous other people began to see it until its fame reached such dimensions that a search was made and the body was found and the murders brought to justice. That is so wild. You know what that reminds me of? What? The episode of The Office <laughs> where Michael starts creating rumors about, like, first he finds out that Stanley's cheating on his wife, and then he creates yeah. a rumor about every single person in the office, and it perpetuates, like, everyone starts talking about it, and they all have to, like, think back to where they heard the rumors from, and that's when they announce that, like, Jim and uh, Pam are pregnant. It's just really uh, interesting to see how, like, things move a little once bit started. But the difference here is this is a man fabricating a story, but in telling the story, more people start seeing this fictitious ghost. Or they want to see the ghost. Because they want to see the ghost. It's the reason why when we have an EVP, we don't like to disclose to other people what they're hearing before they've listened to it. Right. We are very open to the power of suggestion. So if you say, oh my goodness, what's that over there? I see a strange shadow. (gasps) I see a strange shadow. (gasps) So do I. Oh my God, it's a ghost. (laughs) Oh my God, it's a ghost. But he made the story up. So the, the conclusion one could make is that Mary Jane had seen the article. I mean, she would have probably looked at her daughter's obituary in the local paper, and it was the front page uh, story. That article was front and center. That's so interesting. Yeah. And uh, I will I will plug Katie Lyle's book because if you're interested in really going in depth, you should read her book. She did, again, extensive, extensive research. Uh, that's not the only piece of media, though. There's actually been a few plays that were written and a musical really? that was written. And my personal favorite, an episode of Drunk History. I've definitely seen that episode of Drunk History. I love Drunk History. It's one of my favorite shows. It's so good. Is that why the story rang a bell? No, I mean, I've heard of the story before, but like I have actually seen that episode. So Kim told me last night that the story that she's doing was on Drunk History, and I was very tempted to literally go through all Drunk History episodes until I, <laughs> I tried found to figure it out. a ghost one. <laughs> but ain't nobody got time, so I figured I'd just wait. But I actually have seen that episode. So now, has Zona Spirit popped up since she died? Not according to any accounts I could find. Uh, the town of Lewisburg, where her mother saw the ghost, does have a lot of haunted spots. The Old Stone Church, which was a hospital during the Civil War, supposedly still carries the spirits of the soldiers who were housed there. And their screams are sometimes heard in the night. The General Lewis Inn, which is also said to be quite haunted. And notably, the West Virginia State Penitentiary. Let's go. Well, And that's where Shu ended up serving his sentence. In the Shu? Yes. It is considered to be one of the most haunted prisons in the United States. While it was still open, the prison saw about 100 executions, not to mention having a reputation for being a very violent prison. In fact, one of the most violent prisons in the country. Riots, fires, and disease were common. Uh, And there's reports of shadowy figures that roam the hallways and some quite aggressive spirits. So West Virginia has a lot of ghost stories and active haunted spots. 
Zona Shu, however, is not one of them. And did her ghost ever exist? I'm going to be honest. I don't think it did. And that is the story of the Greenbrier ghost. And that's what happens when we debunk things. Hallelujah. Let's find the evidence. Right now I'm finding my cat's butt in my face. (laughs) That's evidence of the cat is that the butt is in the face. Love it. I moved locations. It took her a little to figure it out, but oh, Tilly. No, she just wants to be right in there. Hello, Uh cat butt. Um, But it's so interesting because like I have heard this story before too. And... Not obviously the in-depth version that you just told. So I think that's, I love that you went down the rabbit hole on this one because it's so fun to find out more information on stories that you hear yeah, briefly. And I believe in drunk history, they talk about it as the only case that was proven because of a ghost. But this is such a good example of something that goes, well, actually. Yeah. (laughs) Not you feel a little bit. Like you feel a little bit like you're killing joy because it's it's so much more interesting to think the testimony of this ghost is the reason this happened. But it wasn't. I mean, honestly, let's give credit to Mary Jane. She was a very determined mother. Kim Killjoy Delphit. Yeah, that's what the kids call me too. (laughs) I love it. That's a good one. Thanks for not telling me about it. I like that element of surprise. It's really fantastic. Speaking of which, Kim and I have kind of like had this idea to talk about, I don't know, ghosty things or things having to do with, you know, haunted true crime topics that we might see on like Netflix or in a book that we're reading and or in a movie that we're watching or something. So we thought it would be fun to reference that toward the end of our episodes. Mm-hmm. So Kim, what are you reading slash watching right now? Well, I actually just saw in theaters uh, Gretel and Hansel. Oh, was it good? I really liked it. I, I will say it is not a movie for everyone. Uh, if you're familiar with Osgood Perkins' work, he is the director of the film, and, and he's done uh, like The Black Coat's Daughter, I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in a House. Oh, I he love that a, movie. Right? He's a fan of the slow burn, though. If you are not a slow burn person, you will not like his work. Mm. He's... Also notably the son of Anthony Perkins. Oh, I didn't know that. Psycho, yeah. So he's got that horror pedigree. But I thought it was absolutely beautiful, beautifully shot, uh, fantastic acting, really cool world building, and feminist. Yeah. Love that. I would say if you like his work, you will like this movie. If you do not like any of his previous work, you probably won't. And if, if, you, if you're looking for something that is lots of action and jump scares, this is not that movie. But if you're oh. looking for a, a really nice, in-depth uh, kind of character study and, and with a little tinge of feminism, then you'll probably dig this. That sounds like something I would very much enjoy because I hate jump scares. <laughs> oh, yeah, you'd be fine. This, it's really, it's not, a, it's not scary in that respect at all. Um, but uh, yeah, but just really, really gorgeous. What have you been? Well, I don't want to talk about this one in too much depth, but I did watch The Lighthouse because I know you oh, and I yes. watched that together, but I rented it while I was sick because I was sick and I was watching like every single thing on the television. Mm-hmm. Um, that's also a slow burn, also done by the dude that did The Witch. So like mm-hmm. 
it was great a little jarring best part were the farts i'm just gonna say that which were i believe added after the fact right yeah so i just think it's hilarious um but the element of someone going crazy is very prevalent there and uh you can't that really kind of like it. mental unravel, yeah. you know. Like you can't really tell what's real and what's not at a certain point. Because they can't. Correct. And that's the point. Interesting. So yeah. um we'll watch it together. I'll watch it again with you. Um it's cool. really good. I liked it a lot. I also, for the sake of our last episode, attempted to watch something. <laughs> that's um, right. I forgot about this. Yeah. So our last episode had to do with people marrying ghosts, if you recall. Uh, mm-hmm. And so there's a show on Netflix called The Ghost Bride. I don't know right. a ton about it. I literally just turned it on because it was called The Ghost Bride. So I'm not going to give you a whole in-depth analysis of who did it, why was it the way it was done. I don't know. But it's a foreign show. So mm-hmm. having said that, there are subtitles, but there's also English dubbing on top, oh, which I can't, I can't yeah. stand personally. No. Like I would rather I just read subtitles. Yeah. I find dubbing extremely distracting. And also they have an English accent, which I think is funny. And also the dubbing does not align with the subtitles. Like oh. it'll like a similar phrase, but it's not like the same. I literally only watched one episode because I couldn't get through it. I couldn't watch another one. And yeah. the depiction of the ghost is not very ghost-like. And it looks tacky mm. to me. So I'm not a huge fan of that. I uh, couldn't really get into it. The premise is that this girl is from a family that's not very wealthy and is friends with a family that is very wealthy. And the wealthier family has a son that died, but they don't want the son to be alone in the afterlife. So they're trying to find a bride for the wife or for the son. And um, the son's mom talks to the living girl's dad and tries to Mm -hmm. arrange something to help him financially because he's going through some tough times Mm -hmm. and uh the daughter wants to to marry the the dead dude to help her family but then there's like a living dude that you can very much tell she's into and it's like super awkward i i don't know really didn't (laughs) hit the the spot for me personally i'd rather watch something that i actually care to watch so yeah yeah wouldn't fully recommend that uh, unless okay. you're into subtitles that don't match the english dubbing so nah, no 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 in that not, case not at all no, i'm also reading a book about um the winchester mystery house currently for oh that's the one that i lent you right (laughs) it's yours yes i'm not highlighting in it don't worry um (laughs) i'm using color tabs but yeah so in the process of reading that and yeah that's about the most content i'm you know absorbing although can i just bring up something super wild sure So I love other podcasts. Obviously, we both listen to other things too. Um, Mm -hmm. One of my personal favorite podcasts in the world, if you love comedy, is uh, Why Won't You Date Me by Nicole Byer. Uh, (laughs) Love her. She's hilarious. She also has another podcast called Best Friends with Sashir Zameda, who is her actual best friend in real life. They're both comedians. They're both very funny. All about feminism. It's all kind of good stuff. However... One of their episodes recently took a really dark turn. And I was like, ooh, this is cool because it's very off brand for them to talk about darker things. And they went down a dark rabbit hole talking about the movie 
All Dogs Go to Heaven. Yeah. And do you remember that movie? Oh, yeah. I saw that in theaters because I'm old. I mean, (laughs) fair. But I remember watching that as a kid, too, and, like, loving it, right? Apparently, the little girl or the girl that – the little girl that played the girl in the movie. Yeah, she was murdered. I had no idea that she was murdered by her dad. Yeah. like set up to star in a whole bunch of stuff and was about to explode and become super like famous because well, she was also wasn't she she was the voice of uh the of littlefoot in uh yeah. land before time she'd been doing a lot of, of voiceover stuff and and she was poised to have quite the career as a at least as a child actor yeah and her dad fully murdered her and her mom and then killed himself yeah no it's it's a Isn't that it's so a sad? real real sad uh the girl's name Judith Barcy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Super she sad. was she was ten. That is so wild. Yeah, it's a really, really sad, 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 sad story. Yeah. Um, in fact, All Dogs Go to Heaven was her last. Yeah, it actually came out before time. Actually, yeah, they both I, came out after she died. Yeah, I was going to say they came out after she had been killed. Yeah, such yeah, a sad I believe, story. I I want to say there was a. a I feel like I remember from at least All Dogs Go to Heaven, maybe some kind of um, in memoriam or in dedicated oh, to kind that. of thing. But I might be remembering that wrong. I'd have to go back and look. It's been a very long time since I've watched either of those movies. Yeah. Well, anyway, I thought it was on brand for us, so I thought I'd mention it. <laughs> Even though yeah. it's sad and like really fucked up. But great podcast to listen to our best friends and uh, Why Won't You Date Me if you like funny things and not super dark things so if you need something to lighten <laughs> a little palate cleanser uh, yeah a little ginger <laughs> yeah. moment yeah right um, no I've, I've been doing some like i've i've been reading so many true crime books lately partially for research and partially because i'm me and i've been doing a lot of the stuff for the defeo murder because we're going to be doing that in a future episode that uh i picked up some like super trashy young adult books as palate cleansers I'm like <laughs> i need to read not murder what are you reading uh, I just read, I read Dumplin', which Netflix did the movie on, which I like last year and, and I'd seen the movie and thought it was cute. So I read the book and it, it's cute. It, it's, it's different than the movie, but it was, it was equally cute. And then the sequel, uh, Puddin', which is not, I don't like it quite as much as Dumplin'. I'm, I'm about two thirds through now, but did it's they just uh, not like G's. Was, they're from the South. They're from Texas. Got it. So. Okay. Dumplin' and Puddin'. If you didn't watch, actually, Dumplin' was legit cute. Like, Jennifer Aniston was in it, and it's about a girl whose mother was a teen beauty queen, and the, like, local teen beauty festival is a big deal, and her mom still works it, and she's uh, a plus-size girl, and she decides to enter and kind of shakes things up, and she's a big Dolly Parton fan, so there's all this. Oh, that sounds like a good time. It's just, it's fun, it's cute, so I, I was reading both those just in between my books on the i5 killer and and the defeo murders and, and you know death 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 and murder i've actually been binging the show supernatural which is a super <laughs> stupid show um it's got a huge fan fan base it does you know yeah. who really liked that show the lady who? who gave the tour at bloody mary's ghost tour who decided to tell us that all of the bugs were orbs she would not stop talking about how hot those two brothers were which i thought was very funny but i generally disclaimer don't watch it for the sake of watching it i just watch it for the sake of having something on in the background yeah yeah 
and I do. That's been else. me with Dr. Quinn Medicine Women recently. I don't know what oh it my is. God, I've had that on the background. <laughs> it's like it's on Hallmark or something, and I just turn it on because they air back to back episodes, and it's and Kim I has watched, cable, <laughs> and I oh, I love cable. <laughs> I, I love cable. cable. I love okay. it. Anyway. I like finding random things. You know. Anyway, we've we we we've, we've gone down rabbit hole for you. Apologies, <sighs> but thanks for listening, guys. Let's yeah. tell you all of our things. Okay, so social media, we have Ghoulish Tendencies podcast on Instagram. We have Ghoulish Tendencies podcast on Facebook. <laughs> we have our website that is ghoulishtendencies.com you can find all of our episodes on there all of our references show notes pictures instagram link what have you all on there we have our twitter which is ghoulish podcast we also have patreon hallelujah so patreon is ghoulish tendencies we also really appreciate anytime you guys enjoy the podcast if you like it rate us review us Anywhere on um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, subscribe. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe so that way you can listen to other episodes when they come out. We know we took a little bit of a detour our last episode, but hopefully this one brings us back on track to what we have been doing and what our themes are. So if you have any recommendations on topics that you'd like to hear, let us know. If you have any ghost stories that you would like us to read in a future episode, you can email it to us at Gabby, G-A-B-I, at ghoulishtendencies.com, or you can send it to us um, on Instagram. So having said that, thank you so much for listening, and stay